Welcome to Psychology Has It Backwards. This series will question the assumption that people are psychologically broken and need to be fixed. We will talk about how seeing people as innately healthy will change all of your interactions and outcomes. This is a true paradigm shift, and it simplifies the entire process of dealing with mental distress and allows for more profound and immediate changes. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Psychology Has It Backwards. Still yet another episode. Number 99. Oh my gosh, number 99. I'm Judy Sedgman, and I'm in Pittsburgh, and I'm joined by my beautiful friend, Christine Heath, who is probably the world's greatest therapist in my mind. (laughs) (laughs) I always think that. Every time I watch uh, Chris work, I think, oh, she's just amazing with people. But anyway, that's just, I love her. You know, what can I say? Well, thank you, Judy. And yes, I'm coming to you from uh, beautiful Hawaii. And uh, I am so thrilled to be able to do this podcast uh, for two reasons. One is, is that I just love hanging out with somebody that has such a great opinion of me. And (laughs) (laughs) what's not to like about that, right? But but also it's it's kind of our our mission in life to try to get the field of psychology to turn around and look at how we're looking at things and so the opportunity to do this and for all of you to be listening to us is really such an honor for both of us i know and so thank you all yes uh, as as judy said this is episode number 99 who would have thought that happened? And we have a list of about 15 topics yet that we haven't even done. And one of the reasons we don't get to our list is we think of new topics. Every time we go over the list, we think, well, yeah, those are good. But what about this? Yeah. <laughs> so, but today, uh, what we want to talk to you about is the difference between operating from and with wisdom in therapy versus operating with the intellect in therapy. Because as we've been talking about this and trying to clarify things, one of the things we realized is one of the ways that psychology has it backwards is that um, therapy is very focused on problems, which are the, 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 the items, the details that people roll around in their head all the time. And the more you talk about them, the, the more details emerge, you know, like, oh, yeah, I just remembered something else my mother said, or I just remembered some other bad thing that happened. And uh, Sid, Sid Banks said something, Chris just came across the quote, so I'm going to let her uh, say it exactly. But we found something in going through uh, Sidney Banks' second chance that just goes right to the heart of this. So, Chris, if you want to read the quote. Yes, Judy, I will. I have been going over Second Chance, a book by Mr. Sidney Banks. Um, and he's, um, in, in this book, there's a character by the name of Richard um, who is very stressed out and insecure and uh, goes to the island of Maui and meets Jonathan, who starts to teach him a little bit about how to, mental well-being works in people and how thought works in people. And I'm going to read to you just a little bit of Sid's way of explaining this in, in this, in the story. 
I had so many questions I really wanted answers to. For instance, what did Jonathan mean when he said a traumatic experience from the past may have been real then, but now it is only an illusion carried through time via thought? Hmm. And another thing, why was he so against going into the past to fix any emotional problems? (laughs) I finally asked him outright why he thought this way. He gave me a quick response. The further into the past you go, the more details you remember, and therefore, the more complications you put in the way of the solution. I confronted him with the fact that I thought details of the traumatic experience were very important. They are if you wish to keep them alive, he replied. The details, he continued, are simple proof to the ego that the problem exists. They perpetuate the situation you are trying to get rid of. Going back into the negative past to find happiness is like trying to make a silk purse out of a sow's ear. Hmm? (laughs) I love that passage. I really do. And it's funny because I've read that book so many times and I think I read it without really recognizing the depth of that passage until you started talking about it the other day. And I think that I, I, it, it brought to mind for me just not very long ago, I was talking to a client who said, well, the, you know, the thing that's kind of ruined my life and it's, it's really haunting me is the fact that I was raped. So I said, well, um, when did that happen? And the client said um, five years ago. And I said, so have you gone on with your life or, you know, is this? And she said, oh, yes. She said, I'm actually engaged. And and so she's, you know, had other relationships and and has met somebody she really cares for and is engaged. But she she's haunted by this rape. And I said, why do you suppose it haunts you? And she says, well, I, I just think about it a lot. It just keeps popping up in my mind. And then when I think about it, I remember things that I didn't remember before. Like I'll, she starts telling me, you know, like some, I, I, for a while there, I hardly thought about it. And then I guess maybe it's because I'm getting married. I start thinking, you know, is this going to affect my life? And, and uh, she was actually just worried more than, you know, suffering from trauma. But I, I, when you read that passage, I could almost, I mean, I was just like that client was starting to talk to me again. And I thought, oh, I got to read her that passage if I talk to the next time I talk to her. Yeah. It's funny because, you know, that's kind of what we're trained to do in psychology is to see what's happened to this person that has gotten them to be psychologically or emotionally unbalanced. Right. Because that's why they're there. They come in to get help in psychology, in marriage and family therapy and coaching. And because they don't feel a sense of balance and a sense of peace in their life, there's something that's bugging them. There's something that's bothering them. But what we do when they come in is we say, tell me about your thinking. You know, like only we don't say that. We say, tell me about your life. Like what's happening. Right. And so when, when that happens and people focus so much on trying to change the details or, you know, express emotions from memories of the details of what happens to us or talk about problems, it really validates to our little ego 
the fact that we have a problem. And mm-hmm. that in of itself keeps us focused on the problem rather than on getting a new answer of what we could do differently in life. You know, and I imagine that that's what keeps people thinking there's something wrong with them. That's because true. the problem keeps coming like this woman is haunted by this problem. And she's like, I don't know why this is happening to me. Mm-hmm. It's like it's some like there's some uh, external power that's plugging it into her brain. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, like there's something wrong with me kind of uh, feeling as opposed to, you know, I can put the past behind me and just move on. Right. Like an example of that, I was reading um, in Jacqueline Hollins is writing a new book. And uh, she was had a, a quote from one of the men that she works with in prison. And when I was reading it, I thought, wow, this guy got such a deep hit on this because he said that he'd been struggling with addiction and that's why he got into crime and that's why he got incarcerated. And, and then he said, but what I realized is that I don't have an addiction problem. I just thought I had an addiction problem and then I had an addiction problem. <laughs> He said, but I, I, he said, I, I never realized that because I thought that I kept me using because I thought I got to use drugs. And <laughs> so I, I read that to one of my clients. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't read it to, I, I paraphrased it to one of my clients. And mm-hmm. uh, he sat back and said, wow. Because he also has the same history, right? Same, same thing, same thinking. He goes, I never thought about it like that before. I said, yeah, isn't that interesting that you even said that? I never mm-hmm. thought about it like that. So people come in and they're thinking about themselves. And so what do we do? We ask them to share all the things they think. And then as the therapist, we go, oh, yeah, that's really bad. Oh, that must have been really hard for you. Oh, that must have been really, you know, something that you have will have to deal with for a long time. And when you mm-hmm. say that to somebody, it's kind of like it's the kiss of death. Because mm-hmm. it, then it gets in their thoughts and they start thinking that. You know, it just gives me the willies now because at the time in 1970s when I worked with incest victims, it was commonplace in our field to tell people that were sexually abused as children that they would always have to deal with this, that it mm-hmm. would be something that could be, you know, less consuming in their life, but it would always be something in the background that they'd have to be aware of and deal with. Well, duh, I wonder why that would come true. You know, it, it makes <laughs> me shudder, it makes me shudder now that, that I would say that, of course. Um, and one of the great things about learning this in the middle of doing that work is I got to tell all the women I was working with, like, oh, yeah, I was wrong about that. That's not true, is your health has nothing to do with uh, the memories you have of what happened in your life. But what you do have to see is how, how that all works in the present moment, right? So the more you get into the details with person, the more that person's sense of themselves by ego, we're talking about, for some of you that might be Freudians, what we're talking about with ego is simply the way you think about yourself and your world. And, and mm-hmm. so whatever you think about yourself is ego. And we all have an ego. We can't get away because that becomes our little unique personhood. You know, it's our separate reality, but it makes Christine Heath, Christine Heath. It makes Judy Sedgman, Judy Sedgman. And so we have to have an ego. 
But what happens when our sense of ourself gets attached to something negative, a problem or uh, an event that was traumatizing, when we get our ego attached to that, then we become that. So mm-hmm. guess what? It's hard to not be that way because you can't trick yourself. If you think that you're an addict, you're going to stay an addict, right? If you think that you're unlovable, I don't care how many people tell you they love you, you're not going to let it in, right? It's like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're just saying that because they want to be nice to me. Yeah, be pity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we just, we we keep our thinking going the same way. And the more we focus on the details of why we think that way, the more caught up we get. So you see people that have like cognitive therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, and after they've been in it for a while, they're like thinking about their thinking like crazy. They're just always trying to change their thinking and they end up doing more thinking and they lose any, any, any ability that changing their thoughts helped them because they didn't see that it was just thought and not, not you know, attached to them as a person. And, you know, they're still teaching that, Chris. They were at least, you know, not that long ago when I was taking graduate courses. Um, because I, I had a, a course in dealing with troubled children at or teens, you know, and basically they were saying, well, there probably was abuse in the family and they can't help it. You know, they've been scarred by this abuse, et cetera, and you're going to have to deal with the abuse in order to solve the problem. Yeah. And I, I cried in that classroom. I'll never forget it when the person was saying, because he's a good-hearted person teaching that class. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it just made me so sad because I was already a principal's person. Yeah. But I think that that's, it, it, you have to see the innocence in that, that if that's a belief and we're all, op, you know, operating from our intellect, which is our, our historical beliefs and everything we've been taught. Uh, there's no wisdom in it, but people don't know that. That's right. The same as the clients don't know that. And right. so one of the things that we, I think that if you were to, for example, if you're used to traditional therapy and you were to watch a three principles person working with somebody, the first thing you would notice is that we don't spend a lot of time going into the hard parts of a person's past. And sometimes our clients are disturbed by that because they've, they've had a lot of experience in therapy. They'll say, well, don't you want to know about my abusive father? And don't you want to know about how my uncle did this or that? And then my mother, and then, you know, I was bullied. And and we'll say, you know, yeah, I, I always say to my clients, I'll stipulate that it was bad. You know, let's just stipulate that. Whatever it was, it didn't work out very well and it was unpleasant. And But the more you talk about it, I will say to the person, the more difficult it becomes to leave it behind you, which is where it, where it is. And I remind people about where they are now. You know, you're sitting in this safe place here. It, these people are in your past. You don't even have anything to do with them anymore. Some of them are dead. You know, so uh, why don't we start from today where you are now? And see if you can understand how to find your mental well-being. And for a lot of people, if at first they might be a little bit offended that you don't care, you know, you don't want to know all those things, all those, you don't realize how bad their life was. But I, I would say 90% of the time, people that I've worked with are, are relieved because they're tired of talking about it. It's exhausting. And they get bummed out and they cry. 
and it makes therapy painful. Mm-hmm. You know, and if and and that is such a, a to me that's quite revolutionary. And I remember in the, earlier one of the tapes uh, that we made for these podcasts, Chris was talking about the fact that her clients would leave her office laughing um, and other people in the waiting room would be shocked. And that's one of the first things I noticed when I met Bill Pettit and I started working in this field because I had other psychiatrists that I worked with. I was a uh, medical consultant and, um, and there, and you'd go into their waiting room and it was so depressing because people were sad on the way in and crying on the way out. <laughs> and you go into Bill's waiting room and people are sitting there, they're, they're sad on the way in, but when people are leaving, they're laughing and chatting. And, and I, I was, it was almost unbelievable to me that I was in a psychiatrist's office mm-hmm. because I was, you know, expecting what I'd always seen before. And, and you know that we're talking about the past right now, but, the details are about anything. It doesn't yeah. have to be. It doesn't have to be a trauma from the past that we're talking about because all of the intellect is memory. Something mm-hmm. you thought and programmed in, and then it kind of processes things and puts things together in different ways. But it's still just what you already think. So when people come in, let's just take a whole other topic. Uh, people, or actually, people do this with their friends too. They come in and they start telling you a problem. Well, I've got this to do and I got that to do and I don't know about this and I don't know about that. And um, and then the friend gets in and goes, well, you could do this. And the other person goes, well, that won't work because of blah, blah, blah. And then they'll go, well, what, what about this? Well, that won't work because of blah, blah, blah. And pretty <laughs> soon both the, the, the friend and the person get frustrated because they're, excuse me, going round and round. And they're they're not solving anything. They're not coming up with any new thought because they're just going over what they've already thought before, right? So when a client comes in and you get into problem solving with them, you know, like um, what my I have these great great students. Really, I'm grateful for them. They give me a lot of data to to talk about. But you know, they <laughs> they I sit in with them, and they're all good little therapists in. Um, in whatever they're trained in, whether it's solution focused or um, uh, cognitive behavioral. And so they'll start talking with the client and the client will start talking about their life, the details of their life. And they'll start trying to problem solve with them from a more positive perspective. Well, you could do this or what about that? Or, or what about if you think about this? And what about if, you, you know, they're always trying, they're not always, but when they're doing that, they're trying to get them to use this intellect to come up with wisdom, to go, come up with a new thought. There's no yeah. wisdom there. There's no intelligence there. We got another one of these podcasts we did on intelligence, but wisdom is when the healthiest thinking possible for the person comes up for them and then they know what to do. Now, that's really different than you sitting and going over the details of their problem because, as Sid said, their ego gets more wrapped around the details and the more hopeless they get because I even talked to my therapist about it and she thinks it's a problem too. You know, I've seen that happen with relationships. They go talk to their therapist and decide that they're in a relationship with a narcissistic person and they come back and tell the person, my therapist thinks you're a narcissist. And the person's (laughs) like, what? 
what are you talking to your therapist about me for? You know, like it's, it, it's this whole funny thing that happens, but the details are like the only way you can keep conversation going if you don't know how to teach about health. Mm-hmm. So then you try to help people live their life better, but at the same state of mind that they're in, they're not going to come up with anything better than what they already have. So our wisdom, <laughs> we try to stay quiet in, in sessions and really wait for an idea that comes to us. But we're looking in the direction of creating a nicer feeling, bringing people into the present moment, uh, allowing their minds to quiet down, allowing them to be um, have, have just a free and clear few moments in their own thinking where they're just quiet. Uh, so that they can experience what happens when their mind clears. Yeah. So that they can experience a moment when they suddenly have an idea they've never had before and they're very shocked by it. And, you know, the thing that, that gives me faith in the future of this work and faith in humanity and faith in, in health and keeps reinforcing it is that it always happens. Mm-hmm. It doesn't always happen the first session. It doesn't always happen the first 15 minutes or anything. Listen, it's not, I'm not talking miracles here. But if you're steadfast in looking for people's wisdom and looking to draw it out and looking to talk to their health, um, it happens. And then people will start. I mean, they have, I, I remember having this thought, well, I, yeah, everybody's a better expert on their own life than anybody else would be. You know, their wisdom is going to give them information about their life. And my wisdom is going to give me information about what I would do if I were them. But that's not their life. That's my life. (laughs) So it doesn't, It you know, the the common idea that, oh, you go to somebody smarter than you and ask them what to do is not a very good idea. Because (laughs) as Sid used to say, what are you going to do when they ask the next question? You know, when they get in the car and go, I should ask this, you know, because it isn't their idea. But when they have an idea, when their wisdom pops up and it's refreshing and they suddenly think, oh, wait a minute, I could blah, 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 you know, that's their idea. So if they stay in that frame of mind, if they stay quiet and they keep looking for that quieter state of mind, that idea, if it's a good one, will flourish and generate familial ideas and they'll come up with a solution. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing how creative people are. I mean, my clients, it's always astonishing to me, the ideas they come up with that I wouldn't have thought of in a million years, but it works out for them. Right. And it's a totally different thing than trying to fix the problem. They don't come up with solutions about that. They they come up with ideas of what they can do differently. And that's very different than analyzing what's wrong with them. And, you know, Judy, I'll give you a great example of this. And it's, it's... how easy it is just because I'm trained as a therapist as well to get into the details. So I do this group of um, violent men and we had a a new guy come to the group and um, you know, we have to sometimes work with them in the beginning to realize that when we do online groups, they have to be set, set down in one place. They can't be, you know, uh, going to work and doing this at the same time or going to a party with their family or, you know, it, (laughs) And so this this is his was his second time 
the first time he was um, in the back of a pickup truck. So we, we let him know, no, you can't do that. You got to be, we want you to be present. So the next time he's at a party and when he starts talking, he introduces himself and we kind of went on to somebody else introducing themselves and he types in the chat room, I need help. And I'm like, well, well, and normally I don't pay attention to the chat room, right? And I, I was like, oh, oh, oh. And so I stopped what we were doing and I said to him, I said, what's going on with you? Well, he starts talking about how he's he's really thinking he's going to get, he's going to hurt somebody there, right? That he was upset with somebody and got his feelings hurt from something else. And was and I was like, what? What's going on? Who are you at? And and what happened was that he, he wouldn't couldn't listen to me. He was just, every time I talked to him about any detail, he got more and more caught up in the details in his head. And I couldn't make hide nor hair of what he was really saying, to be honest with you. And then Louis, Louis Pavel, who does this group with me, we just have a gas. He's just a wonderful, wonderful teacher. And um, he just like said, the guy's name, and he's, come here, just, just calm down. We just got to get you to calm down. There's nothing happening. You're not going to do anything right now. Just be here with us now. And he just came right in. The guy calmed down. He went to a place where he wasn't around a bunch of kids and people. And he, and he starts crying. And I, these are tough guys, right? These are, mm-hmm. these are really guys that don't let themselves be vulnerable. He starts crying. And he said, you know, it was just really hard for me. And I, I, I knew I might do something. So I, I came to you guys for help. I asked you for help. Now that's that guy's wisdom. Right. Right. Like another person wouldn't have even gotten on the call because they were all, he was already upset and they would have just clicked it off and gone and done what they were going to do, which wouldn't have been very good for me at all. I would have been very upset, <laughs> but yeah. It was, it was such a great example because I'm, I'm like trying to get him to get him to listen to me. And yeah. Louis came in and of course, you know, he's going to listen to a man a little bit more than me anyway. And so he's, he comes in and, but his feeling was so solid yeah. that the guy's mind cleared. Yeah. And he came back and focused on us rather than on that. But that was because he already knew to do that. Like that was his wisdom guiding him. Yeah, that's a great story. I love that. Yeah, it was a great. It was a great. It was because like, it's so realistic. You know, it's like it's like uh, teenagers that call their parents and say, "Can you come pick me up?" You know, when they're at a party where they know that people are getting drunk and it's getting out of hand, and and um, you know, it's like that's their wisdom, but they they didn't have enough wisdom not to go to the party. <laughs> right when they, when they got there, something clicked in. Yeah. Girls got to have fun. Yeah. But um, <laughs> yeah, that, that's kind of that. That's, I think that's really what maturing is too, isn't it? It's that yeah. we start to really trust that wisdom and learn it. And some of us, you know, takes a long time. We, we yeah. do it in our 30s and 40s. Some, some people are lucky and they see that when they're teenagers. And, and just to sort of put a cherry on this process is that that's one of the reasons why a lot of the people that uh, that work with people from this understanding who are not in therapy officially, you know, maybe they're in social work or maybe they're in working for social service agencies or whatever, but they, when they pick up on it, they can do that. 
you know, they're not doing therapy. They're not calling it therapy. They're just saying, you know, I, I remember uh, one person who was a nurse who had uh, been my client and she said, you know, now they're telling me at the hospital that I have a way with difficult patients, you know, and she, she couldn't put her finger on it, but what she really was doing was what she saw made sense now mm-hmm. from her own wisdom instead of going by the book and going like, well, this person's a problem patient. We got to do this or that, or we got to give them a pill or, you know, and they would say, send her in. She has a way with patience. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's great. And that, that's kind of that. Uh, there's kind of people talking in the therapeutic world about this kind of unknown factor that some of the greats therapists have, you know, yeah. but really all they're, all they're doing is being very present in the moment and they really operate from wisdom when they talk to somebody. So when you get into the details, whether it's problem solving or um, trying to, you know, like chart out things, you're, you're going the wrong way. Yeah. You're going the wrong way. You're going to reinforce that that's true for that person rather than helping them to see that that's just a habit that they've developed trying to find happiness, but that Mm -hmm. happiness is built into them. Peacefulness mm-hmm. is built into them. And so focusing on that allows their thinking to get better. The details of their thinking change. And then they come up with their own answers. Which are better than yours anyway. Yes. <laughs> well, we have used our time again. Okay. Wonderful. Well, aloha, everyone. See you next week for number 100. Woohoo! Take care. We hope you heard something new and that you will continue to join us to challenge the prevailing thinking about the possibilities for health in everyone. To subscribe to the podcast, visit our website at psychologyhasitbackwards.com. 